Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here presenting Talking Design. And I'm here today with two architects, Karen Alcock and Claire McAllister. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. You've had an interesting career. You started, uh, Claire, you're from Wellington originally. I trained in Wellington. Trained in Wellington and Karen, Melbourne University. But you were both... uh, Claire, you're a founder of uh, Neo Metro. Of Neo Metro Architects. Architects. Yes. And Claire, um, sorry, Karen, you um, joined as a director. Uh, 2000. In 2000. Mm, after working there for a couple of years. For people who don't know Neo Metro, it was quite an interesting company because the way I see it, you really discovered the laneway in Melbourne. Well, that's definitely where we made our start. I mean, Neo Metro started as a design and construct company doing small-scale developments in laneways. Yeah. Uh, at the time, laneway land was very cheap mm. because people were not used to the idea yet of living without a main street address. So therefore, the land was affordable and it was an opportunity to experiment with new ways of medium-density housing. It's interesting because pretty quickly after that, this seemed to be a lot of people looking at laneways and right through the 90s and now it's quite common for people to live on a laneway. Let's move past Neo Metro because um, MA Architects uh, started what year, Karen? Uh, 2008. 2008. Mm, mm. What was the founding principles of MA? What did you want to achieve? What was the goals, the aspirations? I guess we were building on um, the design principles and the philosophies of of Neo Metro in looking at um, different ways of of doing mainly medium-density housing. But when we moved to MAA, we wanted to broaden our client base, do work for uh, outside clients, um, get a, a better mix of work, but really to keep building on some of those early early principles of, of creating livable environments. In apartments. In apartments. Karen, it's interesting because there are an awful lot of apartments on the market. Every corner now, every whether it's in a city or middle distance, is all apartments. But very few are actually very livable. A lot of them are just boxes, mm. and developers just want to carve up as many spaces in that building to, ma- to maximise return, but that's not MA's principles. How do you make a small apartment inviting? Because mm. it is a challenge. Mm, it is. I mean, we always try to, we think natural light and cross-ventilation are critical principles of how an apartment should work. There are a lot of apartments on the, mar- on the market at the moment which are, have single frontages, which really can... Um, Uh, decrease the amenity of the units so when we come at a planning stage it really is to try and get the the planning of the building right Um, and I think we've always had that principle that we and it came a little bit from Neo Metro when Neo Metro we were designers and the clients and the builders and the developers where you're sort of really doing projects for yourself so the lessons of that we bring over to what we're doing and we look at the apartments do we want to live there you know it becomes very personal it's more than just cookie cutter architecture yeah so what are the opportunities how do you make a small space work for the occupant what are the opportunities that you can bring into them Mm -hmm. 
So some of the key um, projects you've worked on, um, there's been these wonderful townhouses in Elwood. Tell me about those. That was quite an interesting... It was an established area. Mm. Um, what were you trying to achieve with that development? Well, we'd done a lot... We'd, we'd done a fair bit of work in Elwood over a number of years before we got this project. And I suppose we'd gone through a period... There'd always been a lot of resistance in Elwood to sort of taking these larger house sites and turning them into higher-density projects. And we wanted to do something where we could deliver the product, if you like, for our client, but also get a good architectural outcome and get a good community outcome. So we wanted something that that felt like it belonged in the street and in the community. And that was a key driving force. And our client was a, a local who'd lived on the site who, who really loved Elwood. So it's trying to really get the essence of Elwood into those projects. So four townhouses yeah. with rooftop terraces? For two of them. For two of them. Mm-hmm. What were some of the key features in those townhouses that you're trying to to um or what are they what what are the things that you feel strongly about well i think in many ways they're very traditional townhouses they've got very high amenity um but what we the 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 actual exterior architecture of the buildings i think we made that the spaces within the buildings work very well but it was really the how we dealt with the facades on the street how we dealt with those streetscape issues that was a really key driving force and we drew on um some of the sort of nautical themes that happened down in elwood buildings like woi woi a 1930s apartment block yeah so sort of pulling on those ideas so although there is this um very strong I'd say federation um, housing stock down there. There's also there are quite a few apartments there as well. So here we were trying to just pull on all the different, um, uh, or pull on a number of different aesthetic influences there to get something that felt like it was there from a historical. But without being a pastiche, without just literally copying elements of those mm. buildings, it was more about it, abstracting some of those features and building them into a new contemporary design solution. Now, this building, these townhouses won an award mm. a year ago? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago from yeah. the Australian Institute of Architects. Mm. What's also interesting, um, Karen and Claire, is that rather than doing four identical townhouses that read the same from the street, you actually mix them up so it's almost four separate homes, so different gardens, different style mm. gardens, different elements. Do you think that's becoming more important as we move into higher density living? I think it is, but I also think you've got to be careful that it doesn't look like a toy town. Do you know that you end up with four little townhouses that are trying so hard to look like they weren't developed at the same time, they almost look... Corny. Yeah, corny, that's right. I mean, there's plenty of examples of that. I mean, what we tried to... The building actually does have a very strong singular aesthetic externally, but as you, as a as a visitor, as an owner, you have a very individual experience as you go into each of the the townhouses. So the entry, the way the gardens work, the entry sequence varied mm. across the four units, mm. um, and that's how we really created that individuality. Okay, there's another development that you did a couple of years ago with Neo Metro called Harper Lane. Harper Lane very interesting project in uh, Inkerman Street. Uh, St Kilda, a nice combination between commercial and residential with a cafe, Harper's Kitchen at the front. Uh, 
and people using the laneway that you've created as an informal meeting area. Is that quite a strong direction in housing, do you think, that mixture of commercial and domestic? I think it is. You have, you have to be a little bit careful. There are a lot of apartment buildings now that are just putting a cafe on the ground floor and thinking that will solve all the issues of trying to create a community within the development. And it's very... You have to, first of all, you have to choose the right size of commercial um, use to suit the mix of the development and where you locate it. Harper's Kitchen was located right on the front entry walkway so that there was that encouragement of interaction. But it's a very small-scale cafe. It's not something that creates a lot of noise or... Food smells. ...disruption. So that was was also part of the plan that, that would... Uh, provide an opportunity also for people who don't live in the development to maybe come and meet some of the people who do because it has that sort of casual feel where the seating does spill out right onto the entry mm-hmm. walkway. But it's not so busy that people coming home feel they have to fight their way through a cafe crowd to get to their front door. It is interesting because I've been living in the city for years and I felt that the mixture was problematic in a lot of areas that you know people just whack in these cafes or commercial users and it doesn't mix very well you know i mean it might activate the streetscape but for residents it's actually a pain in the neck Mm. so that is really interesting and we did an earlier project one of our first projects was the lux building also in Inkerman street st kilda and that was a, a mix of uses that There was uh, a lot of design studios, small office use on the lower levels, apartments on the upper levels, and there was a shared communal terrace in the middle of the building. And that worked really well because during the day people from the offices could come out and use the terrace. People from the cafe downstairs used to come up to have their their coffee break, but after hours it became the space for the residents. So having that 24-hour cycle can work as long as, again, the uses are compatible and, it's and controlled. And controlled. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we're quite interested in is bringing life to buildings. I mean, often apartment buildings can almost be anonymous and you can really add to the architecture if you can provide a bit of activity. So a cafe may be a way of doing that yeah. or... Um, we quite like having things that are movable on the facades so that over time, one of them that we, we use quite often is a coloured, like coloured blinds or movable screens that so that the building feels alive in itself as well as, you know, the individuals that are mm-hmm. in it. And also using landscaping that grows and changes. We love using deciduous plants so that the building actually changes. So it marks the, the seasons. Yeah. So it is a... a a living building yeah. rather than something that's static and mm. and you know and that's often that's the case with Harper mm. uh, the Harper apartments um, you know I think it's really important and I think it's often forgotten that you know people want just because you're in an apartment doesn't mean it has to be clinical that's right yeah You've also just finished a new house in central Victoria? Oh, in uh, Mainridge down the peninsula. Oh, Mainridge, sorry. Um, How did that start? It's a large house. People can't see it, but it's very impressive. Uh, Folded uh, roof, Mm. um, lined in timber or plywood, Mm. very sculptural uh, with Corten steel. Um, we'd done some work for these clients previously, just interiors work. They'd actually lived in a near-metro apartment for some time, and they asked us to have a look at this house, which was a fantastic opportunity for us. But 
given our history of working on small laneway sites that have very, very strong context, mm. you know, very dominant context, to go out and design a house on a big site with no... Limit, really. Yeah, no limit <laughs> um, was quite a challenge and it was quite interesting to sort of... What, what are the hooks? What are the things... How do you start a project like that, Karen? How do you... Well, I suppose... <laughs> It, it, at, at the beginning, it was really just going back to content, uh, going back to the sort of site analysis. What has the site got to offer? Where are the views? Where's the sun? You know, how mm. do we? What are the? We we went down to site a couple of times and walked around, and mm. it it was quite. Well, the site is actually a large vineyard site with a, a rectangular area in the middle, which had had a site had a house on it, which had this wild and woolly garden lots of fruit trees completely overgrown but there was something very charming about it the views through the trees where you'd got this sort of meadow like grass coming up um uh, just a, there was an embankment that rolled down to the vines that was just grassed and so we wanted to pull on those things what we thought was lovely about the site and not obliterate them with the new building so try and respect the things that had a certain quality already and then bring our house into it is this sculptural form that that because that i think form. when we were talking about it it's very it's quite simple in some ways but mm. it's very complex in other ways mm. uh the wall you know it has this very um extraordinary roof that's quite manipulated to catch the light mm. and it looks effortless but it, i'm sure it was incredibly painstaking well, to get to it was hard, but what's the actual final solution was reasonably simple. It was just a, a repeating, uh, a very quite a simple folding of the plywood that um, repeated, but the repetition gave it its drama. So, um, you know, maybe with three or four folds in the plywood, mm. repeated over four or five bays, it looks like it's very complex, but it mm. wasn't that complex at all. Obviously, the brief is very important from the clients, how they live. They entertain a lot, I believe. Yes, they really wanted, uh, they're, because they're involved in the wine industry, they needed somewhere to uh, entertain visitors to, to the vineyard. And so there was this sort of large entertaining space that still needed to feel intimate enough that they could use it when there was just um, the, the family there. The other thing I was going to mention, and I think it's a trend that's being you know that's occurred for a number of years is that people are living in city apartments more and and having these wonderful houses to retreat mm. to do you see that strengthening um with for the lucky <laughs> <few. laughs> <laughs> we'd like to see it strengthening more the opportunity to do more of these great houses um because people are more adventurous when it comes mm. to living outside the city mm. they really throw a little bit of caution to the wind they probably they don't have the neighbors to worry about mm. I mean, we had a very unique client here, I think, and they were just lovely people, very, really wanted to have something that showed their appreciation of design. Um, they gave us quite a lot of flexibility and they, they were very appreciative. You know, they, they you know, good buildings, it's often said good buildings need good, good clients. clients. And these, we had really great clients here who, who supported us and were really really great as we move forward um you know and land becomes more expensive and apartments become you know increasingly um you know part of the landscape how do you see apartments unfolding are they going to get smaller because i think they did get to a point 
I think they were down to about 350 square metres before someone said, look, I think they're getting a bit small. I think you might mean 35. Sorry, 35 square metres. You know, they were getting so small that they had to kind of almost retract to 50 square metres. How do you see apartments going? Do you think, you know... I think you need to... They don't... I think the 35 probably... It's always about funding. Yeah about getting finance, so that will often drive the size of apartments. Um, but I think that 45 to 50 seems to be a, probably a common minimum, even though you do get occasionally smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, yes, I mean, it would be nice if there were more three-bedroom apartments. To, you know, there are families who, who are mm. interested in apartment living, and there are very few developers building three-bedroom apartments. And why is that? It's the cost, and um, the they, they're not... The, they they're can, worried about getting the return. You know, they've got to sell a three-bedroom apartment for a lot more than a two-bedroom apartment. Slower to move. Slower to move, holding costs. Mm. So I think that will change in time, but it's going to take a little while. Mm. But in the beginning, when um, small apartments first started coming on the market and the bank wouldn't finance anything less than 50 square mm. metres, and it took a while for those changes to come through. So I think eventually the three-bedroom family-size apartments will start to become more common. Mm. We are finding that two-bedroom apartments um, are, be, are almost more popular. because than the one-bedroom. Yeah, I mean, I think because the, the people who are moving into apartments is changing. It's not just single people or young couples. Um, it may be people who, who might be slightly older, maybe with a small child, who want to live in the inner city, and that, a one-bedroom apartment just doesn't do it for them. Mm. So the sales of the two-bedroom apartments seem to have a bit more interest in them. Mm. So sort of interesting. The, the other thing that I, I think is quite interesting about your practice is the detailing. And, you know, you are very conscious about putting, you know, adding detail and adding you know, finishes that you'd like to live with. Um, Harper Lane, Harper's, Harper Harper Apartments are an example where, you know, there's real thought there um, in terms of the detailing, the kitchens, there's um, uh, black glass splashbacks in the kitchen, um, you know, polished concrete floors throughout. You know, it's the type of fittings you'd like at home. Why is it that so few developers are prepared to go that extra um, length? They just don't see the return? Well, it's harder to build. And harder to build. Mm. It's all, I mean, as, all, as always, especially in the mm. development realm, money plays a very big factor. I mean, we have the advantage that, you know, as Neo Metro, um, you know, we were part of an organisation that had builders, that had the developers who'd done the figures about how you could make these things work and mm. be price competitive. And, and that's how that gives us the leverage. On, on say on Harper Lane to actually get we could talk to the builders about how you could polish the concrete floors of 64 apartments and get um, you know an acceptable result and mm. that actually helped us to get those um, those design features across the line. Karen do you think sometimes it's just people just put it in the too hard basket and just say look you know just do the same it's easier. Yeah. Look you can make more money if you don't care very much. That's sad. I know, but it's, just... if you don't, you know, if you could take a cookie cutter approach, mm. you know, it's about mass volume. Yeah. But I think, the, I personally think that, you know, there are a lot of apartments on the market and I think the ones are, that are cookie cutter will be staying on the market for some mm. time because they're just generic 
and you know well that's true um, we, we also have a commi- I mean over the time I, I mean I've been a director in fact, at the weekend, it was 15 years since I started at oh, Neo Metro. Thank you. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but over 15 years, mm. you, you do actually produce an enormous amount of work that you drive past quite often. Mm. And it's a, you, you do want to make sure that the buildings that you're involved in last. In fifth, you want mm. the one that you finished 15 mm. years ago to still look good. And I think that's one thing that we've worked very hard on. And even in Harper Lane, some of the things that we've designed we've taken maybe you know persuaded Mm. the developer to spend a little bit more so that the end result is more robust and has a longer life Mm. span you know these buildings are here with us for a long time and it's important to get that right the built environment is very precious and it's Mm. it's not that easy just to plant a tree in front and Mm. screen these apartments and so you know well, there's some very fine examples of how that hasn't been done very well recently as well. I mean, we do love landscape and using it to complement our buildings, but it is a growing trend and there are some terrible examples of how that's been done. If you don't have an understanding of the kind of soil volumes you need to actually be able to grow vines up the face of a building or put in planter boxes without irrigation and just expect that the facade will suddenly become this green, green mm. facade. So it just dies and it looks just dies. shocking. Mm. Yeah, there's plenty of the, and that's going to be another trend, I think, of apartments, the sort of these sort of sad looking facades with just, you know, a planter an empty planter box at the bottom and a bit of wire up the sides. So, mm. I know, I think that's the trouble is when you see uh, apartments, you often see that people have just taken ideas and not really thought through what's what's involved mm-hmm. but the things like that you are putting in things like community gardens vegetable gardens mm-hmm. i mean is that just something new or that's been developing for a while i think it, it has been developing for a while but i think there is a real push towards it now because as the density of the city is increasing councils aren't going to have the funds to create new parks within the inner city area so therefore the onus will be on developers to give something back in terms of landscaping to the city. So therefore I think there will be more and more emphasis on creating communal gardens, rooftop terraces for all sorts of reasons, to create community, to allow people to grow their own food. It's definitely something that's been taken very seriously. And projects on the go, or is it hush-hush? I mean, the things that you're excited about coming up or you'd rather not talk about them? We're doing a project at the moment that is a first for us. It's a little soccer stadium that's just started construction on site. Mm. That was uh, something different for Mm. us to work on. Yeah, so that's over in Pasco Vale. It's a 500-seat grandstand and uh, a community, well, a sort of mixed-use community hall function room and actually has some education facilities in it, yeah. It's exciting. Mm. It is. It'll be interesting. It's it's just started on site and um, just put all the plumbing in and it's uh, we'll see what happens in the next few months. It's very exciting. Um, and before we go, what's this, what gives you most pleasure about what you do? Is it seeing the clients move into a space afterwards? Is it driving past a building, you know, years later and saying, you know, we did that? Or is it just, you know... I think the feedback that you get from clients or from people who may have moved into apartments we've designed and we've never met them, they've just bought an apartment that we've designed and mm. give feedback that you know it might be the best apartment they've ever lived in or they really enjoy certain aspects of the design, that makes it, um, makes it worthwhile. Mm. Yeah. And on a you know, 
you know, what's the most challenging, the thing that you continually have to um, watch out for? I think... Uh, Cutting back designs by developers. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the challenge is actually being able to translate your client's brief and your ideas into a building with you know a building that you're happy with i mean there's so many people and it takes so long to get a building built you know there's there's so many opportunities for it to go wrong and if you can hold the whole thing together and get a building at the end of it that you know you're happy with the client's happy with it's it's a really good achievement because they don't always go the way you want and you've got it does take a lot of effort to uh, make them happen i suppose the degree of success or when you know it's successful is when they invite you for dinner after they've yeah. moved in <laughs> and if they don't and don't poison your wine <laughs> <laughs> look thank you so much karen and claire for coming in today um it's been terrific you've been with stephen crafty talking design at rmit in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.